0: podcast is part of the sports
1: social podcast network you're listening to Stu's wrestling podcast on northeast streaming sports you already know who it is it's danny limelight the puerto rican poppy short and stocky hit like rocky the most radioactive professional wrestler just reminding you to subscribe like and check out Stu's wrestling podcast mi gente don't forget it you're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast. It's time for British Wrestling's Sharpshooter, your host, Stu Harbour. I look into the mirror and all I see is Belle. You're staring back at me. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 74 of Stu's Wrestling Podcast. And have I got a treat for you this week? We have treats every week. We have a mixture of guests, as you know, throughout the wrestling industry. I don't just interview the wrestlers. Not many people are doing this either, let's be honest. Head out to Atlanta, Georgia this week to speak to interviewer for NWA Power, Mr. Kyle Davis. Kyle was trained by Brian Danielson. He was wrestling for a while, but you'll get to hear why he transitioned into broadcasting and interviewing, where he started off in Ring of Honor, and he got to interview some of the best. Tyler Black, who you now know as Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, who was Kevin Steen, so, so many. I watched the broadcasting reel of Kyle's stuff from ROH back in 08, 09, 2010. Fantastic stuff, fantastic. Kyle is very honest and frank about how he was 10, 15 years ago, how he's changed. Also, talking about NWA Power going forward, it is set to return, I cannot wait, it was one of the best shows on television, fast, just so fast-paced as a show, 45 minutes to an hour, and they packed in so much. But, without further ado, let's get right to it, NWA Power's interviewer extraordinaire, Kyle Davis, enjoy. My guest all the way from Georgia... This morning over there, this afternoon here in the UK, is Mr. Kyle Davis, interviewer for NWA, specifically NWA Power, and a former Ring of Honor talent and interviewer. I've got to get that in there as well, Kyle, in the intro. Ding, ding. Thank you. And welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Like I said
0: before, we had a little conversation before we went live on this or re- live the tape. So uh, I'm open book. Whatever you want to know, throw it at me. We'll have a conversation. We'll find out some information. Maybe you'll touch a heartstring or two. I don't know. Let's see what
1: happens. <laughs> Let's see where I take you. That's, that, that's cool. That's, that's, that's brilliant. That's, that's what that's what I want to hear. Open book. Perfect. Right. Kyle, I was a big fan of NWA Power. It It was... It blew my mind how, how good it was, like the throwback style, seeing yourself interviewing along with Dave Marquez, Sean Mooney coming in as well. But I really gravitated yes. to you and your interview style. Now, I know you were a wrestler prior. How, how was it doing NWA Power for yourself
0: Well, it was great being a part of NWA Power because uh, I'm older, I'm wiser. When I was doing stuff in the wrestling business earlier, I was in my mid-20s, and uh, I I don't really know a lot of people in their mid-20s that are the best version of themselves. Um, I used to have hair, I was a pretty boy, it was fantastic, I got all this attention all of a sudden, and it turned me into kind of a prick. And uh, I, was, I was not the best human being. And so when my last opportunity with Ring of Honor came to an end because of a contract ending and a TV show ending, uh, I had this ego and said, if I'm not doing things at this level of exposure, I don't want to do it here. And uh, spoiler alert, I didn't do a lot of stuff in the business after that for quite some time because of that poor attitude. Um, if tough enough had taken off like it was supposed to that time, who knows what would have happened, but instead it didn't. And then between HDNet and uh, tough enough, I lost two gigs in the span of like two months. And I said, screw this. I don't want to be a part of this. And then about a, a month later, I said, what the hell did I do? It's too late. I've done the damage. I'm a normal human being now, and this sucks. Thankfully, in Ring of Honor, I had a producer named David Lagana, who I had became friends with. And as time went on, we'd keep in touch. And about five years ago, four or five years ago at this point, he was talking about NWA. Was it really that long ago? It could have been let's say four years ago he calls me up out of the blue and goes, Hey, uh, do you know who Billy Corgan is? I go, oh, yeah, smashing pumpkins. I grew up in the nineties. I know exactly what smashing pumpkins are. He goes, great. I worked with him in TNA. Uh, we're kind of business associates. Billy wants to buy the NWA. And I was like the NWA, he goes, that's what everybody's reaction is. Uh, and we all kind of had an idea of like, okay, you're buying a championship belt and you're buying a name. That is, that's what's going on. And he said, uh, listen, I, I you want to be a part of it? And I said, Oh my God, I would love to be part of doing something in the business. Because yeah, I already told Bill, you said yes, which is fantastic. Um, and so that's how I went from being a guy who used to do things to a normal human being who gained weight and balded to a guy who then holds a microphone in the NWA. And then we could talk about the path of getting to power as well. Cause that's a little quirky as well. Um, you could stop me because I could just keep no, on talking no. whatever you want. Cool with it. Fantastic.
1: This is what you're here for, man. I want you to go roll with it, man. We'll roll with it. So Absolutely. the
0: initial presentation to me is: I live in Atlanta, Georgia now. I, uh, which used to be the home of WCW, and before that was the home of Crockett, it, which basically means that the NWA's largest kind of TV central market was what everything was focused on, and that was essentially Atlanta, Georgia. And then eventually Ted Turner bought that TV venue. Segwayed the NWA to world championship wrestling program. And then pretty much just rewrote everything. So that merged into WCW Dropped the NWA championship, created their own WCW title gets convoluted. Ric Flair took one, went to WWF in like 91, uh, 91, 92. I have concussions. So sometimes dates aren't the best thing. Also, the older you get, the worst
1: it gets. It was 91. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, and I was right him. the first time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, And then that brings you to uh, ECW is one of the smaller portions of the NWA kind of mishmash that existed in the mid-90s when it was Eastern Championship Wrestling. They hold a tournament. Uh, Shane Douglas, who is one of my all-time favorite wrestlers, wins the NWA title in the tournament finals, grabs the belt, throws it down, shuns it, raises the Eastern Championship Wrestling title as the ECW title. And then uh, that then becomes the legacy of the NWA going forward. It has been absorbed into the WCW and has tried a resurgence. Someone throws it down, creates another wrestling company. All of a sudden, you'll see the title appear here and there with like Dan Severn and WWF Mm -hmm. at a certain generation. Um, A lot of Japanese exposure. But for the most part, if you weren't following all of this in like the the wrestling mags, because the internet really wasn't a thing at that point, Mm -hmm. uh, you were completely lost out on that. So as that's going on, you know, the company for... 20 years is in shambles and uh, the original presentation I was told was that we were possibly going to be doing a studio show with Turner in some way, shape or form. And we'd be filming in Atlanta and Hey, great. We want to try to bring back what NWA used to be into a modern generation of the fans and the people that are more acclimated to seeing that presentation instead of like pyro and everything is just presentation, presentation, go with actual substance, substance, substance. Um, there's, of course, a delay in that. And the way you slowly build a brand up is you interject it into various things. So one of the parts of that is you quickly reintroduce people to your brand. Uh, one of the initial ideas they had was to go to all of those small, little, tiny venues that were still using NWA name in the US, uh, film it, and basically say, look at this contrast. Look at this thing, and now look what it's become. Watch us build it back up. Like being a part of that journey Um, that didn't really work that way. Instead, Nick Aldis uh, took the title from Tim Storm through various different places throughout the U.S. They made appearances in other people's companies, gave it a little tease and then built up a brand from there. Also, we had the 10 Pounds of Gold series, which was a docu-series that was available on YouTube. Mm-hmm. If you watch that and invested, you, we didn't have a TV program that was our own. So you kind of could just ingest that and absorb it. And then at your own leisure, be like, oh, I feel like this is something now that I'm invested in. And then uh, we basically got to that point. We had an anniversary show that I was at, and we started doing some stuff with David Arquette. And that was actually my first real exposure and on-camera talent with the nwa was i hosted a press conference with david arquette uh, leading into a hair versus hair match with josephus Um, so that was really how this started me being a part of background stuff and understanding how we were planning on getting there and then eventually the opportunity for me to be a part of actually being there Uh, fast forward we make the announcement of nwa power which is going to be a one-hour studio program filmed from the Georgia public broadcasting studios here, which is also a throwback to the way NWA used to be produced Mm -hmm. in the Atlanta area. And from that point on, it was just a matter of, you know, how do we make this different? How do we make this feel like something that if you were a part or enjoyed the previous content that you wouldn't feel alienated Uh, because essentially this is a, a brand that was built back upon nostalgia. It was supposed to be a throwback to how people felt and what happened in the past with a little taste of modern thrown in there. And that was essentially where we went with NWA power um, to the point where the mock-ups of it went, okay, I remember watching the studio program. There was flags up here, their banners. I remember being in there and everybody debating on which flag need to be in what order to match what it used to look like on the program. Um, it's the little details like that. And people was like, why Billy Corgan? Well, Billy Corgan's a huge wrestling fan. He grew up in the uh, the midwest and he basically as a kid was you know implanted on this and the things that we all grew up on having a giant effect to us um like mine's comic books movies pop culture and wrestling it's why i have no real like serious personality that's not involved in some way where i make a reference to something else i can't help it it's who i am but that's billy i mean and then you know if one day i was a, a rich rock star I'd be able to do cool shit too on the side, uh, but I am not a rich rock star. Instead, I am uh, in the professional wrestling business and I run a national grocery on the side.
1: <laughs> who, who did you enjoy working with? Not to say you're playing favourites, but the, the, the roster man. I, I was big on, I was big on Zicky Dice, and I wasn't, I wasn't aware of him prior to Power. I've had, I've had Zicky on actually last year. I, I just yeah. thought I just thought that whole thing with Ricky Starks, the TV title, Trevor Murdoch, who you know a lot of fans, a lot of the WWF WWE fans, hadn't seen Trevor Murdoch for years. It's just seeing that mixture of guys, past and present. Aaron Stevens with the question mark. Just who who did who did you enjoy being with in that setting? I'm sure it was everybody. So
0: one of of the little things that I do is I'm also one of the producers there, which is, you know, I I just make sure that content gets made. And a lot of that is grabbing people and just doing interviews backstage sporadically. And I I like to do them off the cuff. I like, you know, just to be able to play off. Um, If you see any of like my old Ring of Honor stuff, again, skinnier guy hair, it's a lot of just facial reactions. I stole a lot of stuff from Joey Styles. I am a smart ass naturally. And uh, so Joey always kind of spoke to me on that as when he'd be doing interviews, he'd kind of poke and prod and then they'd react and be like, moving on. You know, it was just like little subtle things that I didn't realize at the time that I completely aped. Um, So now that I've done those, you know, I try to feed into them that feeling of on the fly. Let me grab somebody in a hallway and just, you know, a lot of people go like how much presentation of force law goes into some of this stuff. You know, the more believable something is, is probably because it's coming from a real place. Um, you know, in pro wrestling, everybody just says if you want really to connect with somebody, you have to kind of be yourself, but turn it up even higher. And if somebody's post match and they're in the middle of kind of that mindset, if you grab them and don't give them a chance to think, you're going to get more of an honest reaction right off the bat. Uh, Eddie Kingston's one of the best people for that. Eddie Kingston literally will just be like, "What? What? what what's going on?" Oh, oh. And then it'll just snap into like, just saying some stuff that you feel because it's from his heart. Cause he's not thinking about it 15 minutes from now about, Oh, if I say this, then I can boom, boom, boom. No, just off the cuff, bam, bam, bam. So Kingston was somebody I loved working with on that. Um, Sal Renaro, who is yep. one of my, my closest friends in the wrestling business who I m- was fun fact, the first interview I ever did for ring of honor back in 2008 as a broadcaster, was with sal renaro ret titus and kenny king as they were a, a group called young rich and ready um so it's just crazy to me to see that you know somebody who i met back in my previous life we just come full circle you know he jokes about being your, your favorite wrestler's favorite wrestler really is the guy everybody freaking loves and i i know why he's, he's not a prick he's entertaining as all hell and he's affable um And then Zicky Dice, you did mention, another person I became friends with. I had never met him previous to the NWA. And then uh, we clicked. I was trained by Brian Danielson in pro wrestling, uh, Daniel Bryan in WWE. Zicky was trained by Tyler Black, who was Seth Rollins Mm -hmm. in WWE. So it's kind of like, I was like, oh, shit, you know, Tyler? eh, eh, eh." So it was this dynamic. And then you realize, like, oh, my God, I'm getting old. Like, people I worked with then have an entire generation of people that they've trained and are now making a name for themselves. Uh, middle age sucks. You don't get acclimated to it initially. All of a sudden you wake up one day and you're like, Oh, I have all this life experience. If only I could go back in time and, you know, do what I do now. And when Dave Marquez back in like 2009 said, Hey, uh, you're entertaining. You should come to, to California and train at the new Japan dojo there. You know, there's a ha- like a little house, not really a house. Turns out it was like a gymnasium that everybody just crashed in like destitution and he's like, oh, you should come there and, and train and be a part of this. And I said, no, I like my life on the East Coast. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold back on that. And then in retrospect, you go, okay, that was that was Brian Danielson. That was Shinsuke Nakamura. That was Fergal Devitt, who's now well was Prince Devitt. Now was uh, Finn Balor, Carl uh, Anderson, the machine gun. Like there was so many people there that I would have been a part of networking with and building with and learning with. And instead, I was just like, no, I'm comfortable. Why make myself uncomfortable? Uh, It's like when Kevin Steen, who's Kevin Owens, used to be like, hey, if you guys ever want to work in Canada, just let me know. You know, we could do bookings up there. And I never followed up because that's a hell of a drive. You know, that's the wrong attitude to have. A lot of people don't think about that in this business is it's not only how talented you are, but it's who you know. Mm. Um, I'm trying to remember what the phrase is, but it's something along the lines of like, uh. Luck is when preparation meets opportunity or something to that effect. Um, I had a lot of opportunity, but I was really shitty at the preparation part of it. So that's why I didn't go any farther than I did. <clears throat> and then, you know, the broadcasting thing came about because Adam Pierce one day said, listen, you're, you're kind of the shits as a wrestler, but you're entertaining as all hell and you can talk and a lot of people can't do that. So he wanted to make me a broadcaster. I basically was going to become Mean Gene Okerlund. And I went, ah, shit. Well, that's it's not what I want to do. You know, it's, what is this? And I talked to Austin Aries and he said, listen, you're going to be on a television program two to three times every episode. You don't have to get beat up. You don't have to take care of yourself, really. You don't have to do all this stuff. He's like, that sounds like a sweet ass gig. And I took the gig then. And then I, you know, for hundred something episodes, I was some dude that would just hold a microphone and say funny shit and then move storylines forward. And I learned so much from there, and uh, it's just a pity that the thing that I didn't learn was that you know everything ends, and if you are not susceptible to something new beginning, then you are pretty much ending it yourself.
1: How how was it that that crop of talent? I'm going to segue back to Ring of Honor now, and you obviously going into the interview and the broadcast side, could you have foreseen? With a lot of the guys, because I watched your show reel on YouTube earlier when you've interviewed all different guys, Steve Carino, Tyler Black, Kevin Owens. Briscoes,
0: Kevin Owens, all, I think. All yep. the
1: guys, and you look at how well all those guys have done when you look at where they are now. Could you have foreseen that with all them guys, the success they had in, in wrestling? Or did some of it catch you by surprise in the same token?
0: You look at that roster
1: uh, and it is people that are all throughout the wrestling business currently.
0: Uh, AEW is inundated with it. Uh, New Japan. Uh, it, it's, it's just Shingo used to work with us in Ring of Honor. I mean, just you look at Kenta was there. Um, the, the treasure trove of individuals that were there at any given moment, like the talent was second to none. And you kind of, when you're in the moment of something, don't really take it for what it is. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Like I said, that's one of those things you look back on, and you go, uh, "Man, everybody here is so freaking cool. Everybody's you know really putting in the work. It's Great locker room, like badass matches. Like that was part of the problem is that you coming into that, you know, how do you live up to that? There was you know you got guys that could do almost anything at a high intensity level, like a Davy Richards, who is one of the most intense weird people I've ever met. But you know you look at him and you go, like I can't. I'm not that athlete." I can't do that. I can't. And it, it's devastating. And so you, you hope for all these people to make it, but you're looking at, you know, 2010, you know, the wrestling business was a very different place. Mm-hmm. I remember our send off for Samoa Joe and he ended up going to TNA and it was, you know, is what it was. It started off really strong and then it came back. And then you see these people that bridge out into the world beyond the small company that happens to just run shows in the U S and sometimes Canada and the UK too. And you, you see them not become the hottest thing in pro wrestling and you go, Oh, I, I guess that's not going to be for this generation. And, you know, fast forward, Brian is the one that really, I feel broke that glass ceiling for that group. And it was because the fans got behind him. Cause again, People can feel when you're real. You know, Brian's a quirky guy. He's one of the weirdest people I've ever met. I remember being like, what kind of music do you like listen to in the car? And he's like, long pause, kind of looks off into the distance. I don't like listening to anything in the car because it's, it's a great time to have my thoughts to myself. And you're like, cool, 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 cool. And he talked about a dog named Asparagus and all these other things. And <laughs> he's like, I'm thinking about quitting wrestling because I feel like I'm not doing a lot for the world. He wanted to be, like, join the civil service, and they told him he had no skill set to offer him, so he started taking college classes just so he could try to join, like, a a whole group about making the world a better place. Then he married a model, became a a, a rich man. He's on a reality show. He's, like, this badass guy who now gets to be himself. Um, But it's just, you know, you see all these people with a wealth of possibility, and you just don't think it's ever going to click. Like I remember Cesaro is probably the most underrated person in a major wrestling company to this day. Uh, Claudio Castagnoli, who was another guy who I used to have great chemistry with as he would just bully the shit out of me and make fun of my dress attire. Um, There's some great promos online that you can find with that. I mean, that's a guy who has the strongest human being I've ever met affable, great personality. But again, I think one of the things that held him back is the accent you know, uh, uh, Vince or the American market, it's kind of a xenophobic market, unfortunately, you know, historically, if you don't sound like me, you were portrayed as like some kind of crazy enemy that was going to be coming in and try to take things over. Um, but getting back to the fact, did I see everybody? No, I saw people not be given opportunity. And when they had the opportunity not be used accordingly, you know, Nigel McGuinness is, you know, such an amazing athlete in the ring and so much heart, even when he's destroyed physically, he still gives it 110%. And, you know, he went to elsewhere and that didn't work out. Um, Austin Aries left. He went to TNA. He became a champion, of course, but he was still an ex division wrestler when I remembered him being a main eventer. So I think Brian shattered that glass ceiling. And then the next generation to break that glass ceiling was the Young Bucks, Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, you know, Roderick Strong? These are other individuals that worked with us there. And now there's not a single individual in wrestling where I see them where I go, I can't imagine that person won't one day get an opportunity to be a star. Orange Cassidy. I mean, I remember we worked a tag match against Ben uh, Girard and Orange Cassidy. It was Peli Primo and myself. And Orange Cassidy did not have the cool slacker thing that he's got going on now. He was just a guy with bleach blonde hair and, you know, green and orange tights. And, you know, I look back and I go, holy shit. Like even that guy has become this huge star in the wrestling business. And then you try to imagine it and you go, well, maybe it was always this way and I'm just stupid. And that's when you start going, okay, so I grew up in New England, which is, um, you know, Connecticut, New York, all that stuff you know, when, when the first people decided, Hey, I don't like the restrictions that are being placed upon me. Let's go take this land from somebody on another country and then build their own stuff on there. You know, that's literally, you know, those were where I came from and that was WWF, you know, that was Vince McMahon country. That was everything else. NWA didn't discover until the early nineties on VHS uh, at a local video store. But being that WWF guy, you don't realize that those people existed before you saw them on TV. And then you go like, Oh, so this person used to be this over here. Huh? He wasn't a, he wasn't a major national TV star. He was just some guy. Oh shit. So I guess there's always been that thing where everybody came from somewhere else and everybody used to go from no one to someone. But as a kid growing up, you don't realize that because the internet didn't exist. If I didn't see that program that was airing in Texas, those people weren't human beings unless they were in black and white in a magazine like The Wrestler or Pro Wrestling Illustrated or whatever you have across the pond. Which is really an ocean, not even a pond. I don't know why we say that.
1: We we didn't know any different over here, Kyle. Because as as, as I've said before, we only got WWF. It was pre World of Sport too, right? World World of Sport. But I, I was born I was born in eighty six, and and, ah. they, and they did away they did away with the, the numbers. The numbers used to be fantastic on a Saturday afternoon because uh, it was World of Sport. You'd have all different sports as well as the wrestling. So it, it finished in eighty eight. Uh, WWF was on mainstream TV. Then satellite came in, um, and other than that, I think possibly we got AWA, but we didn't get the territories. And then I was I was watching stuff, you know, years later, seeing like you know Rick Martel in different promotions. As you say, you know, it's just uh, it blew yeah. it, it blew my mind because you just thought, oh, Kurt Hennig, Mister Perfect, he was WWE. he disappeared one day. He's he was, always
0: been Mister Perfect. He's throwing things at a dartboard five years ago. Did, it's got to be.
1: Dibiase? Like, what? He had a mustache. <laughs> Dibiase, De- De- man. You know, they had they had a ta- uh, tapestry prior to going in there, but we we yep. knew, we didn't know any different. And as you said, if you weren't from a certain region in the US, you might not have known about them because it just depended what you were getting on the TV. So it just blew my mind that these guys were very successful elsewhere until they went, you know, international as it were.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I, I was a, a giant ECW fan in my teenage years. I used to go down to the ECW arena and watch shows live. And um, so it's it's always kind of crazy to me. I remember when like Rob Van Dam became a, a world champion in, a, in WWF. I was like, oh my God. Like I remember watching that guy just kind of doing this and not even doing the spin kick. He didn't have all the things together. And just going like, I can't believe that guy on that program that I used to just be a cult fan of is like mainstream now it's uh it's one of those things like watching new japan i remember uh becoming a huge fan of shinsuke nakamura and it's the fact that my dog that's down here that every now and then will appear in frame is named shinsuke um but then like he becomes this giant star and signs with wwe and i'm like oh my god it's happening Uh and then you know it didn't really happen but it, it's just one of those things about seeing people that haven't really caught on and then watching them click with an audience, and then giving them an opportunity—it's uh, it's crazy. It's super, super insane to see where the business is today. Especially with you know NWA, we have uh, a bleed over into AEW right now with Thunder Rosa. Mm. I mean, that that really is the thing that blows my mind. Is we are a part of a, a kind of a grouping now with New Japan, uh, TNA, you know, AEW. And then there's NWA there with us. And and who knows, sky's the limit it's, with this. Uh...
1: it's it's perfect for, for you for you working in that as well. And 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 I know you're a fan as well. You've got to be a fan doing it. It's mm-hmm. it's just it is fantastic, this cross promotion. Some of the fans are a bit dismissive of it. What I read online, but from from my standpoint, for the most part, other people as well. You just can't it's it's the match possibilities and the angles and where they can go with it now. I, I think um Tony Khan Tony Khan deserves a big pat on the back, but some people are a bit annoyed about it. What I read on, on, on the internet, but it's, it's horses for course. It's different. It's
0: just amazing to me to think about how, how just cut off everybody was from working with each other. Unless you were, you know, WWE had a working agreement with ECW. And then you find out years later, they were kind of like paying for them for the most part for several years. And you go, Oh, I, I guess that makes sense. Um, so who knows what finances will come out down the road about you know like TNA and AEW but for the most part this is one of the coolest times to to be a wrestling fan. It's crazy that a, a global pandemic that's destroying lives and frustrating everybody and and is also an opportunistic time for, you know, fandom. It's changed the way people have to present themselves and interact and it's definitely opened up opportunities. And then I start thinking, you know, if the pandemic hadn't happened, would we be at that position? And the answer is probably not. Um, you know, NWA would still have live, you know, not like uh, live shows happening. We'd still have power every week. We'd have all these other things. But, you know, when you have to hold back and stop for something, it forces you to have to kind of evolve. And now the good news is, is that, you know, sooner rather than later, NWA power new episodes will be returning um can't say when maybe maybe somebody'll make an announcement who knows but um you know we've been on hiatus as a company for pretty much a year with the exception of thunder rose appearing in AEW and nick aldous appearing throughout the US at various places still defending the nwa world's heavyweight championship um so for us you know it's it's been kind of quirky uh, contracts have run out in the meantime you know, people that were just becoming a face of the company had been on a, a short term contract, that contract ended, those people have moved forward, people that I'm friends with. Um, and then, you know, I'm still have friends there, thankfully. But um, when we come back, it's going to be a very different kind of, sh- I don't want to say show, but it's, it's a different environment. And I'm actually kind of curious to see how we'll go from this is where we were time travel how do we explain where we are now? And uh, I don't know how we're going to do that, but we're all thinking about it.
1: That that format, just going to how long how long the show ran for, uh, duration, that, that was perfect to me. Fast-paced, you, you got a bit of everything. You got to know the characters. How much wrestling you got in that time and then the interviews, and you got to know the characters you didn't know. It, it, from a fan standpoint, Kyle, it was superb to me because it's hard to keep the attention these days and that's not just with wrestling that's with everything. You know, there's so much going on, but I, I'd love, I love I loved the format of power, man. It was so cool. I loved that. And then we case. were,
0: we were bridging into other programs too, where we were starting to do uh circle squared, which was kind of a platform for newer talent. And then, you know, a lot of people that are, were appeared on there have now appeared elsewhere. You know, um, the Hawks ended up doing the, that new wrestling show. That's going to be on stars with, um, green arrow, bro. I don't know his name. Steve, Steven. Steve. Amell.
1: Steve. Amell. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like there, there's all sorts of things like that. I watched a W the other day and, uh, I saw Jordan on there. She was one of the talents that was on circle squared. So you're seeing a bunch of people where I was like, Oh, they also had to evolve without us as an opportunity and go somewhere else. Um, like I'm gonna miss Zicky Dice not being a part of NWA Power, but you know, he's doing his own thing. He's got Twitch, which I don't understand because I'm an old man. But um, it seems like it's working for him. We went out to eat a couple of weeks ago, and some woman was just like, "Oh my god, I used Zicky Dice," and I just <laughs> stared at him, and I looked at her, and I was like, um, "Do you do you know him from from?" twitch or oh she's like no i know him from twitch but like, he's a pro wrestler too i'm like no 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 i i know that and then he was just like oh thank you very much blah, blah. and he walked away and he's just like looked down at his food for a second i was like that's so weird that twitch is what people record. he's like i know
1: i i, um, just, I can't wait man i'll tell you also what you didn't touch upon there when Carneyland was happening
0: you were starting to say something about Carneyland yeah, which I, was I, our I was pandemic enjoying... response of like hey can we We use this as a little break and build off things um yeah that was that was a lot of fun it was a lot of kind of humor and individual character traits that we were trying to interject into there we're about to have a mayoral race where uh there was going to be a legit mayor as voted by the the actual fan base about who would be the mayor of Carneyland. you know it was a love or hate thing some people enjoyed the hell out of it and took it for what it was other people went this is not nwa power why is this happening and I can see both sides of that completely, mm-hmm. but it was at a fantastic outlet where we could all be a part of something without having to be in the same room with each other. And then uh, unfortunately, a series of, of situations, be it you know, private, public, and pandemic, the three Ps uh, kind of crippled that right as it was about to take off and become something else. And it'll exist in some way, shape, or form, I'm sure, uh, with online content. But uh, for the time being, we really have had to, just for everybody's safety's sake, uh, take a step back. You know, AEW has the cons. There's a lot of money behind that. WWE has the McMahons. There's a lot of money behind that. You know, we have Billy. And Billy's not a, a major corporation. He, he has to be realistic. Because people go, why don't you run shows right now? How come everybody else is? But you're not?" it's because, you know, we're not that huge of a company. You know, we're run by one guy who, you know, has a passion for it. And his passion also has your realistic tendencies. You know, his entire business got shut down. You know, there's no touring musicians right now. You know, you can't go to a live concert unless you're in like some random part of the U.S. and they're not really following mandates. But, you know, we got put on hold because it was the best thing to do for not only the talent, the people, the owner, but also for, you know, our business in general, and it sucks. And, you know, whenever I hear people, you know, oh, I wish it didn't happen. I wish it was this, you know, that, and are like, how have you been dealing with it, Kyle? The truth is, is that, you know, I have a job outside of pro wrestling that has never stopped that, you know, supports me very well. And I feel horrible saying this, but, you know, people have lost their lives. People's worlds have been turned upside down. You know, pro wrestling is a great escape. But at the end of the day, me not being a part of NWA Power for the last year because of a pandemic is a very trivial thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, there's some people that in this business that do nothing but wrestle and they're reliant on those funds and I feel for them. And that's kind of the risk versus reward thing is if you dedicate yourself a thousand and ten percent to something, then you are stuck in that, good, bad, or otherwise. And you know, I've always been that guy who's had one foot on the side because I'm super cautious. I'm paranoid. I'm insecure. I get worried. I'm I'm that person. And it just so happened that it finally paid off is that when everything else fell apart, my paranoia and insecurities and, and worries about tomorrow meant I was set up for it. And I I I feel for everybody who's suffered and who has lost a loved one. And I think that's, that's just tragic as shit. And at the end of the day, not having an hour long wrestling program in that meantime is such a small part of, of life. And uh, I know that there is a tomorrow for a lot of us and we just got to hang in there until we get there.
1: It's good. Good perspective, Kyle, you know, That's that's perfect, perfectly put. Absolutely, you've articulated that really well. Who, in terms of like, so let's say when power is back up and running, which guys would you like to see involved who haven't been involved before in a wrestling capacity? Which wrestlers would you like to see in there with with yourselves?
0: So there's so many people that I would love to see, but the the main issue is that, you know, as time's gone on, the big thing is people getting contracts and people are tied into certain areas. And I don't know what extent of that crossover and bleed over is going to happen on our end. If any, Um, I would like to think that there will be a possibility where when things open up very soon, that they will have the ability to have people that appear on our program and vice versa from elsewhere. But I, I really don't know what's going to happen Um, we have Nick Aldis, the NWA world's heavyweight champion is definitely going to be a part of that. Tom Latimer, one of my boys is going to be a part of that Bram is just, I am hoping that he has a, a massive future going forward. Uh, Sal Renaro will be there. Like I, I have the people that I know and talk to and interact with. That's like my safety blanket. And then I also am smart enough at this point to realize that I, we will have new people come in. Like again, Zicky dice, one of the coolest people I know didn't know him a year and a half ago. And now, you know, we chat, we text, we hang out, we go to the gym together. Um, there's always going to be an opportunity for fresh young talent to have an outlet for it. And so the who am I looking most forward to working to? The people that are hungry, thirsty, and are talented enough to carry the weight of things when they come up. That's who I'm looking for. I'm looking forward to meeting somebody else to be like, oh, my God, I didn't know this person existed. And now I'm a fan of them. And then conveying that to the audience is because, you know, I, you said it I'm a fan. Anybody in this business is a fan for the most part, unless they were a former football player that got hurt and decided to become a pro wrestler. And even then they might've become a fan, but this thing is a wrestling an escape. It is a great outlet. If you are a small kid growing up and want to be something you're not, Um, that same thing with comic books, you can project onto a character you're watching on TV Uh, be it somebody who is what you wish you could be, what you hope to become, but you can be like, Oh, that person I am now putting my hopes onto and I'm watching them. And then I could kind of borrow and take here and then work on self-confidence and then maybe this, or for kids and everything else. That's why I don't think you hear a lot of adults becoming fans later in life is because you pretty much have decided who you are as a human being, but growing up and developing, you know, you latch on to things that fill or accentuate. I think they either fill gaps that you have as a person that you're trying to develop or they accentuate the things that you enjoy about yourself as a person that you want to grow upon. Um, so like for me, I was always a big Shane Douglas fan. And Shane Douglas was because he was able to talk, but he also had a certain arrogance. And same i thing with Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels, I wasn't a fan for his athleticism. I was a fan of like then... Then 1996, late into mid-97, Sean, which was, you know, I'm a straight male. And I was like, man, that guy can get it. I mean, he was just Captain freaking handsome, arrogant, running around, just this. And that was what I wanted to be. Horrible role model to have it.
1: (laughs) Not a a good person at all. You were a young mom. You were a young mom at this time. But I was also
0: like a a stocky ass kid. So (laughs) I was, you know, I'm short. Uh, I've always been stocky. And so I was like, oh, shit. This short, stocky, angry guy, Taz, oh my God, if, if he's that and he could throw people over his head, maybe I could do that. Um, and then like Dean Malenko, my all-time number one fave was because again, smaller guy, super technical. So there was all this stuff, you know, people joke about it. Um, I think John Mulaney has a routine about, you know, being a kid, you know, you, you have no money and you have no say in your life and you, you don't have sex yet. So you're just full of rage and you don't know anything. And so as a kid growing up and that I was like, yes, that was my Taz. That was this like wrestling was my outlet because I didn't have an outlet myself as a human being at that point. And uh, so I think it's great that, that this business will always have a new generation that somehow like Darby Allen will speak to someone and make them go, Hey, that's my outlet. That's what I can represent myself with and learn from
1: Kyle. I'm going to ask you were trained by Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan. To, yes. To some of the other listeners and viewers, what were the what were the best tips and advice he gave you through training? If you can remember that, I know it was I know it was a while back. What, what I you am the by? black sheep
0: of uh, Brian Danielson. In fact, uh, he I'm the only person from the ROH Academy to graduate while he was the trainer there. Um, I was one of only two students that signed up when he was the trainer and it came down to i think intimidation um at the time you know people you say like best in the world like cm punk took that name best in the world but before that brian was kind of running with that and i think to this day brian still you could say is one of the best people in the business in the world historically um brian was intimidating to say the least he was intense but also very affable but the big issue is if you weren't going into it with the right mindset and I wasn't, I was not open to that. Uh, I'm very much not a self-starter and being not a self-starter is if you were like, Hey, I need you to do this, or this is what we're doing. I am great at that. But if you went like, what do you want to do? I'm like, ah, nothing. I'd like to relax. And Brian's training is, these are the fundamentals. What do you want to work on? And kind of going along with what you wanted. So if you push him hard, he's going to push you hard too. If you don't, he's going to be like, yeah, all right, well, if he's content with being this half-assed, then I guess he's going to be this half-assed. I was half-assed. And it, it was one of those things where I look back and I say, man, if only I put into it what the opportunity was, who knows what would be happening. Instead, I hold a microphone in my hand and I make funny faces. Um, so the thing I took most from it was, you know, conditioning as well as, you know, just technicality. Um, Brian, one of the people that helped him coming up in the business was Stephen Regal. So that's one of the most technical masters you could ever have. Uh, you know, Brian traveled the world and he picked up little things here and there. I, I brought up world of sport cause he started getting into that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the counters, the tank downs, you know, being more of an athletic competition than anything. And I, unfortunately, was not an athlete. I was not an athlete at all. (laughs) Um, He brought to the training initially for the conditioning was a 50% version of the New Japan training at the dojo, which was, you know, instead of doing a 1000 Hindu squats to start your workout, you do 500. Well, 500 squats in a row is really freaking hard if you're not an athlete to begin with. You work it up to it, and you eventually get there. You do 100, then you do 90, then you do 80, 70, 50, 40, 30, 10. I think that was how you got to 500. Um, there was lion push-ups where you, you, you know, put your arms on the ground. and You do this thing where you push your ass up in the air and all this stuff and running. Like The initial workout took two hours to finish. And, uh, eventually you can get that down to like 30, 40 minutes. But when you go in, not knowing what the hell you're doing and sucking and blowing up and vomiting and be like, I, I it's like military conditioning. Like that was Brian. And if you go into something prepared, you're going to be fantastic. And that's my biggest regret is I didn't go into that prepared. And, uh, by the time he ended up injuring his shoulder at a match with Nigel McGuinness. And then I ended up injuring my shoulder in the ring. And my mother was in a car, uh, motorcycle accident. And so I ended up taking time off. And by the time I got back, Brian was no longer the trainer. Um, so I ended up finishing up because of Shane Hagedorn and Alex Payne and becoming a worker for Ring of Honor. But the issue is, is that Brian was gone by that point. So I'm very much the black sheep. And we, I've joked about it with him before. He's like, hey, did I really train you? Did I? I was there, but, you know, you are a broadcaster now. So that's that's the biggest joke is that the most successful trainee you had in Ring of Honor is a broadcaster.
1: <laughs> it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing- no, no. It's, it's one of those things
0: where um, you did, the movie Soul came out recently, which is very much about finding one's I've purpose. Watched,
1: I have watched it, yeah.
0: I watched a, uh, a performance piece last night on Hulu um, which was very similar to this. I think it was called like, and this I can't remember the name of it, but it was intriguing. It brings up the fact of self-identification and expectation, and you know, purpose. And you know, I always felt like my purpose was I was supposed to be entertaining. And you know, Mick Foley used to talk about, and he said in this one interview, and it started with me: is anybody who wants complete strangers that care about them as a human being has some sort of damage and that's why everybody in entertainment including the wrestling business is damaged because we put way too much thought into what other people are thinking of us instead of thinking about ourselves and and being like hey and growing as a person and i, I think there's a lot to that um certain wants that fill in gaps like i talked about before when you're, you're watching it and you're like that person fills in who i wish i was on this and i wish i could grow into that you know that's what wrestling unfortunately allows you you know actors you know we're athletic actors but actors get to play a part for you know if you're on a sitcom years if you're doing a movie or a TV show a couple months and then you get to move on and play a different part like very much so you are not going to be that thing you did that one time for the rest of your life wrestling's a weird thing it's like a soap opera you know people see day in and day out you doing the same thing and that's unfortunately kind of who you become Like if you portray yourself in a certain manner, unless you're really good at distinguishing reality versus entertainment, it's easy for that to bleed in. You can become kind of not the best version of who you are. And so as time has gone on, I realized that I don't think my purpose was entertainment. Uh, My purpose was empathy and connection, is being open and honest with myself. And then I can be open and honest with other people about things and then try to basically say, hey. We all go through times, we all go through through intricacies, you know, great moments, bad moments, and there's the little stupid things that nobody talks about that I think if we all just had conversations about more often, it would really open up for those that are suffering and feeling like they don't have that little part that's missing inside them. And so I, I feel like one thing I've learned from pro wrestling is that everybody's a human being and we're all going through things. And by not acknowledging that we're doing a disservice to the fans. Because if you tune in every week to watch somebody, that's a great opening for there to be something more than just the stupid little entertainment. There could be a real connection. There could be a real growth. You could better yourself as a human being, even if you're cheering for the heels, nothing wrong with that, by the way. But, um, (laughs) you know, I think one of the things that we really miss out in this, and I'm, I, I love podcasts for that, is you get a connection with the people that you see every week now. There's an ability, there's a humanizing factor of being like, oh, this person plays video games. I play video games. I could be Miro one day. Who knows? And I, I feel like that's, that's the biggest thing about pro wrestling this day and for me and why I still love it is that it's full of human beings, broken or fixed or amazing um, good, bad, ugly, tall, short, fat, skinny, athletic, flippy, you know, technical or anything like that. It is a, a mishmash of everything that's going on in the world in this microcosm that is blown up just a little bit because, again, it's entertainment. And I, I love the fact that we could possibly on a daily basis be having a positive effect or a release for people from their lives.
1: Well, that's perfect. I like that. That's encapsulated a lot again. No, cool. Cool, Kyle. I like coming away. I like coming away from the wrestling on, on this as well. Sometimes you'll know, give, give a bit of something else. So yeah, absolutely. Kyle, back to broadcasting. I know we flip-flopped around this different. Um, I know
0: I ramble and then I go on segues and this. It's, it's, it's bad. I need I'm, GPS for
1: conversations. I'm the same with questioning. I kind of just do a mishmash these days. I don't. I was very much right. We'll do it in this order. And as I've gone along doing this, it's just totally changed. I've just thought, well, you know, it's my show at the end of the day. We'll just do it. There isn't a set way of doing this. So rather than me rambling the question, tips for people who want to get into broadcasting, into the interviewing aspect of the wrestling business. Kyle Davis's top tips. This is why I want to. Top tips. This will help me. This will help me as well with what I'm doing. So it's partly for me as well.
0: Uh, basically, don't have a plan. That's, a, that's an important part of it. If you try to force something, and unless you're working in legit news media mm-hmm. um, where you have facts to work off of and everything else, uh, people's brains work different ways, and if you present something as uh, uh, just like, "I'm going to get the question answered this way, it might not work. You have to be flexible with your the people you're having interactions with. Uh, be open. Uh, get the source. read, uh, watch other people do interviews. That is, it's another very important aspect of it. Um, and then you, there's nothing wrong with adopting certain cadences or ways of going about things that you've watched be successful and attached. It's like anything else. Um, you know, everybody borrows from everybody. And the thing that makes this go around is stealing other people's shit. Um, I literally told Dean Malenko, Dean Malenko called me on my friend's cell phone the other day uh, as that was my birthday. And my friend works at DNAW and I get a phone call. that's like, uh, is your refrigerator running? And I, I recognize the voice from TV. And I was like, Oh uh, yes, it is, sir. And he's like, the fact you call me, sir, kind of fucking ruined that. You know, <laughs> it was just one of those things. And I told him like when I, when I actually wrestled, I used a Texas Cloverleaf because of him. And he goes, yeah. people shits, what's makes the business go around. None of us created anything, you, man. Keep on doing it.
1: Not, not- <laughs> That is what Scott Putsky told me last week. We we dropped the interview last week. Yeah. He said, nobody's reinventing the wheel. He said, uh, I I just said, how did you develop your your moveset? Did you come up with stuff on your own? He goes, no, 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 no. He said, everybody, like you've just reiterated, everybody steals shit from everybody else. I I just
0: saw Norman Spiley use a Texas Cloverleaf watching some UK show the other day. He was like working in this all of a sudden. I'm like, oh, shit. Like everybody just borrows stuff from everybody. Um, So my big advice is uh, have conversations with people. Be legitimately interested in in who you're speaking to. And, you know, one of the biggest issues is people are waiting for their turn to talk. Ingest what people are actually saying, interact with it and kind of emotionalize with it. Um, Another important aspect of this is, you know, I wanted to go to broadcasting school at one point in time. Because I was like, oh, what is it going to take to expand past wrestling? And uh, I ended up talking to a few people and they're like, oh, don't even waste your money. Uh, Broadcasting school will teach you what you already know, which is experience. (laughs) Experience goes farther than anything. So if you want to do anything in life, start off at any level you can and then get the experience. So when the situation comes, you're prepared for it. Uh, that's, That's another huge thing. Um, Joe Golly, one of my, uh, my coworkers with the NWA is a newsman. You know, he does wrestling broadcasting. He is all of a sudden running around on, on the news media as well. Not all of a sudden he's been doing that for years, but, you know, sticking to one thing can really hurt you in life. If you, I, I want to be a pro wrestler. I became a pro wrestler. It was not the thing that I excelled at. And then I became a broadcaster and that was the thing I excelled at. If you don't give your chance the ability to evolve and not get stuck on what you think you should be instead of what you may actually be, you were doing yourself a disservice.
1: That's, I've got, I've got, I can take away stuff from this as well in relation to what I'm doing with this. So that, that's why I obviously wanted the viewers and listeners to have your take on it. But yeah, man, that's, that was, once again, well, well encapsulated. To close out... That's what I try. To close <laughs> out, I'm going to limit you to a top three. I find it all picking a top three best matches of all time as a fan. I can just about do it. I'm sure there's hundreds of matches you could choose from. A top three. A top three off the top of your head. Top three. Your all right, we got... Um, to close out. So...
0: Dean Malenko versus Eddie Guerrero, best of three falls as they're leaving ECW. Um, it's a double pinfall at the end, spoiler alert, ends in a draw. Uh, other one, that's one of my, those are pretty much that. And Shawn Michaels, Steve Austin, uh, King of the Ring. I think it was King of the Ring 97? Yeah. It yes. Will, it will 97. End. Yeah. Just Fire from the yeah. get-go. It's two guys that are on the cusp of being the main faces in the company. Um, they're both kind of tweeners. Uh, Steve Austin is just angry, hits, attacks anybody he wants. Shawn Michaels also angry, egotistical prick, just doing whatever he wants. You know, he's he's supposed to be a good guy, but you're also like, man, he's really punchable. Yeah. I don't understand why. And then they they feud him with the Heart Foundation. And they get thrown into this impromptu, like the match wasn't even supposed to happen at that pay-per-view. I think it was supposed to be Brian Pillman versus Steve Austin at that pay-per-view. And then I think Pillman got pulled because he was probably injured. And they had this kind of story of the two guys that are feuding with the Hart Foundation, Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels. Um, they're also in the running for the tag team titles as begrudging you know, partners. They hate each other. They don't like each other. They don't trust each other. And the match is just them literally from the belt, beating the hell out of each other. And then people try to get involved. They'll take them out, start beating the shit out of each other. I mean, the refs, I think there's like three different refs that get knocked out in the course of the end of the match. It's a a no contest. I'm realizing every one of my favorite matches does not have a finish. It's either a a double pinfall or a no contest. Um, And then, damn, like three. Oh. Oh, do, 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 do. I'm thinking I'm thinking it,
1: this is bit, gonna be another one
0: that's pretty stupid it, it's
1: it's hard it is I find it hard when I get asked I'll tell you my free in a minute I uh, I have memories
0: of things it's not even a match it's more of just stupid stuff but one that always comes back to my mind is Shane Douglas as TV champion he beats. Too cold Scorpio for the title. And the next time he defends the belt, he uh, he just starts calling people out from the locker room. And it's all of like the C level ECW guys. Like, uh, I think he kicks Devin Storm with a dick, who became crowbar, just hits him with a belly to belly and puts a finger on his chest. Uh, that whole series that leads to Pitbull number two basically destroying him. I liked that. It just reminds me of uh, Mick Foley as Cactus Jack in Mankind. Like uh, my favorite mankind match is probably Sean Michaels and him from Mind Games. Brilliant. In 96.
1: Ahead of, it, um, ahead of its time. And how much offense did Michaels get in? Because mankind was like the, the big time here, wasn't he? Sadistic. And, and yeah. Mike Michaels got so much stuff in it. I remember watching that, like as yourself in 96, and just like, I thought this is going to be a battering. Michaels will get the pin, but he won't have that much offense. And it. And they went. He was brutal. Michael showed a different side to his uh, style, I found. Sorry. Then I'll, I'll give you three modern ones. I'll give you yeah. three modern ones yeah, real cool. quick.
0: Um, we have uh, AW would have to be the tag match with the Bucks versus Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page.
1: Fantastic. Um, yeah.
0: New Japan, I got Shinsuke Nakamura versus Kudo Bushi. Yeah. Uh, that match. And then uh, Kachari Shibata versus The Rainmaker. Um, that match where he looked like he was going to win the title and ended up getting brain damage. Those are my those are my three moderns right there.
1: All my all mine are Bret Hart matches. <laughs> Nothing,
0: so Bret Hart is such an intriguing thing to me because growing up I was not a Bret Hart fan oh. at all, but as an adult I realized Bret Hart was the shit. Bret Hart was so badass. I I love Bret Hart as the Hart Foundation heel version of him because the amazing part of it is he's a heel in the U S but he's not saying anything that isn't really wrong and legit. Like Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels are not really the best examples of role models. And to see that kind of trigger that character of being like, I just, what happened? You guys should be cheering me. I am everything that you would want your children to grow up to be. And yet you're looking at these degenerates over here. Like that, His ring work and everybody makes the same, the same joke. Oh, you're going to atomic drop this. Like he's got the same offense. Everybody's got the same offense. Every match you see has the same beats and that's why you enjoy somebody because you're like, Oh, I know what? Yes. uh," And then you play off of that. Chris Hero explained that to me. There's only so much you could do in a ring. And if you have this guy that does five things and this guy that does five things, you know, those five things, it's how they place them that's going to get you to be like, oh, oh, oh. Because if you don't know those five things, you're not going to react to them because you don't know what the hell to expect or what you're looking forward to or what to emote with. He, he so, Bret Hart, good choice.
1: Uh, Brett, so, I, so Kyle, I was at SummerSlam 1992. I, I was in attendance at Wembley Stadium. Dad, we went down from Wales, man. I was there, six years old. Probably needed to be a little bit older. Spoke to spoke to Georgia Smith about this about three weeks ago when I had her on about a dab and uh, TJ loved it as well. But yeah, Bulldog and Brett, I'll just do mine quickly because it's not about me. This and then- no, no. I, listen, this is this is your podcast. If people Kyle, don't understand you as a person, they're not going to tune in. Every week. number, number two, number two. Right, this. This was an absolute masterclass with minimal amount of time, and they did loads of stuff. Roddy Piper versus Bret Hart, WrestleMania 8 at the RCA Dome, at the Hoosier Dome. How they encapsulated everything in that time frame, it's just that is how you do it. You know, you have Piper tweening. Is he going to whack him with the bell? You're thinking he's going to go heel again. He is going heel. Bret, you know, all get all the sympathy for Bret. It had blood. Whether Vincent Man Sanchez that or not, that was always the talking point. It was the pin, the pin off the ropes because I'd never. Oh, yeah, actually, he had done it before. Um, it was the promos beforehand, Kyle. Uh, you know when they set up when he's talking about eating bologna at, at Stu Hart's house, and I even even when I was like five six years old, I was just in hysterics. And um, number number three, Mr. Perfect, SummerSlam 1991, Intercontinental Title, MSG, just. And they weren't the longest matches in the world, but they just. No,
0: long matches sometimes aren't the best things uh, ever. I mean, that Sean Brett match is fantastic. I love everything. I could go on.
1: I don't have an hour to donate to to most things at this point. I could pick so many more and I could. I'm doing other guys a disservice because there's so many I like. But met, met Brett at WrestleCon in 2013. Kyle, I couldn't muster up a sentence. I was there with Dad. We went to WrestleCon in New Jersey. Uh, I, I saw you at Wembley Stadium. You like, he goes, You like the outdoor shows? Yes, Mr. Hart. Oh, it's like and, and the promoter called me Harvey Whippleman. I had a flat cap on. I had an I had an El Generico flat cap. I was doing yes. I was doing what Sammy was. I was wearing what Sammy Zayn was wearing a lot, like well before. Anyway, the promoter calls me Harvey Whippleman. So he just worked me, huh? It was like, Harvey Whippleman, come on. <laughs> I was- uh, that's
0: fantastic. I remember going to a fan fest for ECW, and I, I asked a question at a Q&A, and it was like a big little room there. And Taz is like, uh, brother, you sound like one of us there. You're so loud and you project. And, I, and I'm like, oh, my God, Taz thinks that I project. <laughs> and that, so it's like those little things where somebody acknowledges your existence and you get excited. I met Bret Hart once. And it was at an autograph signing when the nitro was always, you know, WCW, it was the South of the United States. WWF was always Northern. I'm a Northern guy. So WCW ran one show up North and it was in Hartford civic center. And they had an on sale date for the tickets to go purchase them. Because once upon a time you bought tickets in person instead of ordering them online. And we went and there was an autograph signing with Brett and I had a uh, magazine of the wrestler and it was uh, him in the wheelchair a picture of him in the wheelchair talking to Sean. And then the next clip on the magazine, it was two pictures next to the next was Sean super kicking him out of the wheelchair. And I handed him that. And I said, can you please sign this? And he looked at it and, you know, in retrospect, he's probably doing character work, but if he really didn't like Sean, who knows if this is, this was him or just, you know, giving a teenager a moment where he believed it, but he looks at it. He looks at me, starts thumbing through it. And he's like, Tch. sighs. size, shakes his head, begrudgingly signs it. And he goes, here you go. And I go, thank you. And I walk away and then we're, we're walking away. And then the dude that was behind us in line, he goes, you know, he screwed up my signature and had to redo it after that. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, like, he literally was like shaking his head, kind of like the audacity to make him sign that. And then he went to go sign his thing. And he's like, ah, and he screwed it up a little bit. And he's like, let me get you a better one. And then he resigned <laughs> it for me. I was like, man, I hope he was just working all of us as fans because I believed, I believe that.
1: Kyle, where can the viewers and listeners find you in terms of social media?
0: Social media, uh, Instagram and Twitter is Kyle Davis, ATL, ATL for Atlanta. Uh, as far as Facebook goes, I... Took a lot of people on there. And then it turns out that a lot of wrestling fans realize that I'm not who I am on TV. And they're like, well, this guy is super progressive and very outspoken. And uh I, I don't mishmash with them. So uh Facebook's my own personal place there. Also yeah. like uh Instagram and Twitter, Kyle Davis ATL if you're on there. Um Sal and, and I one day will have a podcast and a video called uh, Kyle and Sal Lack Direction. we aired a few things on there we're really lazy like i said earlier i'm not a self-starter um, one day and it sounds really good about not going along with pushing me either so I look forward uh, one day we will put content up
1: yes i look forward uh, to that I, you've got press on with that one it'd be brilliant my guest all the way from georgia today it is nwa powers interviewer broadcaster extraordinaire mr kyle davis thank you very much for coming on man
0: Thank you for having me a part of this. And as always, guys, the world's crazy out there. Stay safe. Treat people with respect. As my old uh, Adam Pierce there, who's one of my mentors, would say, you know, work hard. Treat people with respect. Don't be an asshole. That's really all I could say at the end of this. Uh, For Stu and Kyle, guys, live life the way you want to. Just don't hurt anybody or yourselves.
1: This episode is brought to you in association with Powered 4 TV, so go and check them out for anything wrestling-related, old events, new events when we come out of COVID, podcasts, you name it, it's all there at Powered 4 TV, so find them across social media. Sports Social Podcast Network.